Hi-de-ho, you boys and girls out there in Radio Film School land. We have a very special Thanksgiving episode for you this week. I've been excited about posting this show because I think you'll find it fun and also very poignant. We'll be back next week with our regular show and part two of our Mind Your Masters series. Also, I want to remind you to check out songfreedom.com. Song Freedom supports the show, and they've given our listeners the ability to download a free standard gold-level song license worth $30. Just go to songfreedom.com slash radio and use the offer code radio to unlock that free song. So go check it out. This show is also supported by you, my dear listeners. Become a daredreamer.fm premium member, and you'll get permanent access to a whole bunch of bonus episodes, ebooks, templates, and other resources to help you grow in your crafting career. Go to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. Be sure to stay past the credits for a special bonus excerpt of my interview with Brandon McCormick, the Atlanta filmmaker, who gives us more details on the backstory of The Wizard of Oz. It's very intriguing. Happy Thanksgiving to all you fans in the States, and to those of you abroad, consider this a Throwback Thursday special, even though I'm not really uploading it on a Thursday, but you get the idea. Enjoy. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. As you may have ascertained from the Your First Time episode on the show, Growing up as a kid, I was a hopeless romantic and got a relatively early start in my crushes on girls, as early as the second grade, as a matter of fact. In pretty much every grade during my elementary school years, there was always some girl I liked and was totally gaga over. But my young, romantic fascinations were not limited to girls I knew in person. Like many boys my age, there were those girls, real or not, that I saw on TV that captured my fancy. Jan Brady, Darla from The Little Rascals, Daphne on Scooby-Doo, Titsy from Facts of Life, from season one when she was on the skates. And I don't know any young prepubescent heterosexual boy who didn't have a thing for I Dream of Jeannie and Wonder Woman, for, you know, kind of obvious reasons. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, all the world is waiting for you, and the power you possess. But I think of all the girls I saw on television growing up, the one who had perhaps the strongest hold on this young boy's heart was this vision. Yes, let me go on the record by saying straight guys can like Dorothy too, if not for different reasons. When I was in the fifth grade, Dorothy from Wizard of Oz was it for me. I was smitten. I used to dream of rescuing her from the clutches of the Wicked Witch. I think Over the Rainbow really touched my sensitive soul. And every year, I got to see her and hear that angelic voice on Thanksgiving. dreams that you to dream really do. The yearly Wizard of Oz viewing on Thanksgiving evening was a ritual with my mom, still single at the time, my brother and me for pretty much every year from pre-adolescence through high school even. For that reason, it holds a very special place in my heart. But I'm not alone in my affection for the MGM classic. The Wizard of Oz is one of those magical and memorable remnants of the golden age of Hollywood that has captured the hearts of millions of people around the world but I think it has a particularly special effect on those of us that would go on to become filmmakers. But I think the movie that affected me the most, and the first time I ever saw it, uh, 
was it was on television because um, I grew up in a farm. About That's the voice of Tom Wylan. Tom is the co-producer on the sci-fi original web series called Sky City Haya, currently in production. He and the series director and creator Adad Warda were two of the first filmmakers I interviewed for the show. We'll be hearing more from them and their amazing project later on in the season. But Tom had the most interesting story behind his history on watching The Wizard of Oz. And when we saw it, we used to gather as a whole bunch because there's seven children in the family. So we'd all sit around a TV set, and we didn't have a color TV set, so we had a black and white TV set. So at the time, we didn't even know that Oz changed. That's <laughs> we, we had no idea that Oz had changed to this colorful world, and my parents never even told us. So we would every year have this sort of, or you know, kind of uh, screening of the Wizard of Oz. And then I remember when we when we eventually got a color TV set. And we all sit down to watch the movie, and none of us had any idea that the the movie would change to color. And we sit down, and I remember all of us just like our eyes wide open, and we were just reacted in such a magical way. It was just it wasn't only watching the movie, but it was my brothers and sisters and everybody together, and we all like went, "Oh my God!" So that's how the movie is. It's like in color in this section. So at that time, <laughs> even when you sat down and watched it, you didn't you didn't have any expectation that it was going to switch the color. No, we didn't, no. And then when it hit, it was like, oh my goodness. That story still trips me out to this day. Honestly, it was hearing that story back in July or whenever I recorded it that made me want to do this special episode in the first place. I thought to myself, I will make up some reason to do a Wizard of Oz special just so I can highlight that story. The Wizard of Oz is one of those ironic stories from the Hollywood's heyday. Released in 1939, the film was a critical success, being nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, and it won two for Best Original Score and Best Song Over the Rainbow. But unfortunately, it was a box office disaster for MGM and didn't recoup the studio's initial investment until its re-release ten years later in 1949. But it was the television syndication that began in 1956 that really made the movie the international phenomena it has since become, being named the National Library of Congress's most viewed film on television. To this day, it has a 99% Rotten Tomatoes rating. And frankly, I want to know the heartless jerks that make up the 1% who don't like that movie. I mean, come on, how does Wizard of Oz not have a 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating? Since its first premiere... There have been quite a few spin-offs and adaptations of L. Frank Baum's Magical World. There have been animated TV shorts, stage shows, and remakes. There was, of course, the African-American stage musical The Wiz, which ultimately became a movie starring Diana Ross as Dorothy, and of all people, Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow. Today, we have the stage sensation Wicked, and in 2013, James Franco, Milo Kunis, and Michelle Williams starred in the less-than-wonderful Oz the Great and Powerful, which was a sort of origin story of the wizard. But perhaps one of my favorite reimaginings of the wonderful world created by L. Frank Baum was this. Here is a story you think you know, but do not. A story about a young woodsman, a beautiful maiden, and a desperate love. This woodsman's story is not known to many, for he's known by another name. That's the captivating introduction to the Whitestone Motion Pictures short film Heartless, the story of the Tin Man. 
The writer-director of that film was my personal muse, good friend, and friend of the show, Atlanta filmmaker Brandon McCormick. Brandon is like a walking encyclopedia of artist profundities. Whenever I need a poignant, powerful, and moving soundbite for an episode, I can always find one for my interviews with Brandon. Earlier this summer, while in Atlanta for client work, I stopped by Whitestone to have a heart-to-heart talk with Brandon about the story of the Tin Man. Pun fully intended. Here at Whitestone Motion Pictures, beautiful plantation style. I wonder if they ever had any slaves here. To give you some context, Whitestone's offices are in this old, remodeled, plantation-style mansion in Buford, Georgia, about 40 miles north of downtown Atlanta. It's literally just down the street from the agency I used to work for when I lived there. How are you, man? Good. How you doing? Good to see you, bro. Do they ever have any slaves here? Hmm? I have no idea. I was saying... Right, is, that a, is, that a, is that a commentary on my protege program? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was just commenting how it's like this uh, plantation-style looking house. And yes. I was man. Sure. Here, let me get this on you. All right, this is take two of Tim Man's story because um, Ron forgot to push the record button. This will be better. I can, I can do it better now. The original story goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a lowly woodcutter who fell in love with a maiden. And uh, they were going to go get married in secret. But before they were to get married, the woodcutter said, look, I want to build us this house and, and, and that we'll live in forever. And so uh, he goes out and he starts uh, building this house. Now the maiden's mother hates the idea of her getting married to this lowly woodcutter. So she hires a witch, uh, which is the Wicked Witch of the East, to, it is, yeah, uh, to curse his axe. And so that the axe would, the head would fly off and and harm him from time to time. Uh, So as the woodsman is cutting down the trees, the axe head flies off and it cuts off his arm. And he goes into town to find a doctor, but there's no doctor, but there is a tinner. And so the tinner gives it his best shot and makes a tin arm. And uh, it's actually does a great job. It's stronger than the other ones and it's really efficient. Um, goes back out into the woods and of course that ax keeps flying off and chops off his other arm, his legs. Uh, the tinner keeps replacing these parts. Eventually his head replaces that. And the last thing it hits is his chest. And when he goes to the tinner, the tinner says, I'm not good enough to make a heart. I can't, it's a thing I can't make. Um, which is why he later in the story, uh, when we pick up, he needs to go find a heart from the Wizard of Oz. Um, but when he loses his heart, he, he loses sight of why he was out in the woods in the first place. He falls in love with the efficiency of, of chopping down trees, that actual process of, of tree chopping, as opposed to, and loses sight of the building this house and his love and his maiden. The maiden comes, tries to reason with him, and he just ignores her, and she leaves, and, and he just goes off for years and years, just taking down trees and uh, taking out forests, and so much so that when one day when it's raining, he gets caught out in the rain, mid-swing, and freezes up, and he's there for a thousand years, and he's there to, he's there to think about what he did, and so uh, is kind of internally tortured by realizing what he's done. So that when Dorothy comes down the yellow brick road, he sees a chance at redemption. So it became this story, a kind of a morality tale of falling in love with our work. And, you know, we all fall into this trap saying, look, I want to do this work to, to change lives or to provide for my family or do these great things. And then we fall in love with how great we are at that job. Then, then our love becomes just the process of that job. And we lose sight of why we started in the first place. 
I doubt there is any artist or hardworking entrepreneur among you who hasn't at some point fell into the trap of the Tin Man. Come on, if you're honest with yourself, wouldn't you say you do that? So, some, from time to time, when I when I'm just in the process and, and just just working like a just a uh, working like a dog, um, you know, I we talk we have joke around here. Just you know, I'm just heartless. I've just I, I've just lost my heart, man. It's just like I don't know why I'm out here. I'm just chopping trees. And then we just got to reset and go, okay, why are we doing this in the first place? And because uh, we value, again, the core principles of what we do and family and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, may we never get so heartless that we forget, uh, that we fall in love with our own proficiency and forget why we started chopping trees in the first place. This episode was produced by me with production help from Chris Huslidge and Tommy Ferguson. Very special thanks to Brandon McCormick for taking time to meet with me and give me so much fodder for this podcast. Stay tuned past the credits to hear that extended excerpt from my interview with Brandon as he talks about the origins of the Scarecrow, the Lion, the Wizard, as well as comment on the original color of the now famous Ruby Slippers. Also, go to the blog post for this episode to check out the full Heartless short film. It's a haunting tale you won't soon forget. There are also some inspiring behind-the-scenes videos about its making you'll want to check out. You can find it at daredreamer.fm. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org and Song Freedom. Original music from the Heartless soundtrack was also used, courtesy of Whitestone Motion Pictures. Music and lyrics by Nick Kirk and the Brothers Bright, all rights reserved. Check the show notes for links to artists and tracks. And while we're on the subject of music, Radio Film School is supported in part by Song Freedom. When you need to license high-quality mainstream music, look no further than songfreedom.com slash radio and use the offer code radio to unlock a standard go-level license worth $30. We thank Song Freedom for their support. You can follow me on Twitter at DareDreamerFM, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash radiofilmschool. If you appreciated this episode and all the work we put into this show, please tell a friend and spread the word. And do leave a review and ratings in iTunes. Tell us your favorite childhood memory of The Wizard of Oz. That's it for now. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with. Or, as Brandon so eloquently put it, A story well told with less production value will always be better than a poorly told story with the most amazing production value. So true, Brandon. So true. So I spoke with Brandon for a while. Here's an extended excerpt from my interview where he talks about the origins of the other characters in Wizard of Oz. Enjoy. Um, that's a dark story. It is. I love it. Oh, the original, the, the book is very dark. Right. So, like, how does it go from... And, and there are some aspects of Wizard of Oz that if you're younger, 
are kind of scary. Oh, yeah, no, flying um, monkeys are terrifying. Yeah, the absolutely. flying monkeys are kind of freaky. Oh, yeah. Um, but overall, it has, it does, particularly as you get older and that stuff is not as disturbing um, as you are when you're young, it has a lighter feel. I mean, it definitely does not feel as dark as the story you just told. Sure. Um, do you have any insight as to that change in, in the making of the movie? I think it was the year it was made. It was MGM. I don't know who wanted to make it a musical. Uh, <laughs> I, but hey, you know what? I'm doing musical stuff. and I don't know. It's fun. So I just that was just the interpretation. I think the same thing happened with uh, Willy Wonka, and it was a much darker tale. Yeah. Um, and each one of the well, Willy Wonka has that one tunnel scene. No, it is very dark. He Even is killing now, off that's kids. Freaking out! No, he he is killing off children, um, which is not, getting some well, morality tale. I mean, I've never read the book. I don't not know. Being killed off in the movie. Well, I don't know if they ever just. Yeah, I mean, but he's flushing them down into the incinerator. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It is pretty dark, but right. still. Um, uh, and it also is a musical. I mean, it was, there's a trend, I guess, there. Yeah. But Music, um, musicals were big in the yeah, no. twentieth century. I mean, we still, we all can still, uh, uh, you know, whistle. If I only had a brain, so it's a cool right. take. But the original source material is way darker, and the story, the backstory of the scarecrow and the the lion, is the same. Is it really? Um, absolutely, yeah. It was, it, they're the what same. Do you know those backstories? Uh, I remember, yeah, a little bit. You don't bit. have to tell the story, but like. Oh, no, yeah, no, briefly, no. So, the, you know, the story of the, um, the story of the scarecrow is that he becomes you know, conscious as he's being built. So his head is built first, so he's thinking, and as the rest of his body is being built, he's thinking of all these wonderful things he's going to do in his life, the places he's going to travel, and the things he's going to achieve. And so finally, when he's fully created, his creator sticks him on a stick in the middle of a forest, <laughs> and he just can't go anywhere. And so he's struggled, and then over the years, just thinks, well, I guess I'm out here because I'm dumb, and I'm full of you know, stuffing, and um, you know, my head's uh, full of nothing. Um, and just loses sight, I guess, of, of who he was and, and what he originally thought of himself. The Cowardly Lion is born into a proud family, and the father is king of the forest, and uh, the, his roar is to be uh, is fierce, and he could never roar, and so he was never respected. Mm. And so over the years, he lost his courage because uh, the animals of the forest just you know treated him like a joke. And right. he couldn't ever live up to his father's expectations. Mm -hmm. And so he needed to go find that courage to take his father's role. That's some dark junk right there. Yeah, it's, man. But it's, I mean, it's good. Like it's, Was that written as a children's book? I don't, I don't know. I can't I don't, It's been a few years. Um, but all of his stuff is very political and very, yeah. you know, again, even like, you know, The Wizard of Oz. Um, the, in the original, the, the Yellow Brick Road is because the, um, the wizard was, it was a taxation thing, I think. Mm -hmm. And so he was taking everyone's money so he could pave this wonderful road to his city. Um, so the Wizard of Oz was kind of a villain in the original, too, a little darker. But, but wasn't he from, he's from like Kansas, too, or something like that? Yeah, but he kind of became uh, in love with his own power. Right. And um, was very much, uh, so that's why, you know, they... And he just was very, very brutal to the people um, mm -hmm. and took all their money to make the, the opulent road. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a bit darker um, right. than kind of the original. Uh, the well, dark. one thing, I, the touch, I like the touch you did at the beginning of Heartless where you see the beginning of the yellow brick road being mm -hmm. made. Was that something you just threw in there? Yeah, no, again, the origin story. Yeah. You just want to see that stuff. I love that kind of stuff. So, sure. yeah, it opens with two guys building the yellow brick road, you know, like, oh, that's cool, uh, you know. And it gives you, at the very end, you see it completed and you see these, uh, you know, the ruby shoes coming down. Right. And uh, which were actually silver in the, in the uh, 
in the book. Oh, really? But I couldn't bring. My, I, you have to give it. So yeah. that was more of an homage to the to sure. the movie than to the book. We struggled with that back and forth. I may have shot one of each, but like, so in the book, there's silver slippers, not ruby slippers. Yes, there are silver slippers, huh. and so we 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 had it like. It's crazy because we had to like it felt like a responsibility to the book and also to the movie because because yeah. majority of people know the movie right um, and so even like you know the way he's frozen is is that same pose um, so like the ruby slippers we had this like it was like the the choice it was the, you know uh, do you go with the red slippers and to the homage to the movie or you go you silver go yeah I had to we had to so yeah. we just like tip to the movie and give it to everybody do you have um, insight as to why they switched. From silver to ruby for the movie. It probably looked cool and was shot in color. Say that. Yep. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I just it probably I would I would guess, uh, yeah. uh, and I probably would have made the same choice at the time. Going, ah, yeah. oh, this looks this looks great on camera. Um, yeah, so you know it's interesting. They they um, they they did. I guess they had the same choices of going back to the source material. And going, okay, right. so how can we keep the spirit of what he did, uh, but modernize it to you know their time. Um, that's kind of what we wanted to do. How do we keep the spirit? And, and we felt like there was, you know, there's two big things. You have the book and you have the movie. Um, and then we're trying to like play in that world. Right. That's kind of a tall order. And we just didn't want to like, our goal with that movie was just not to screw it up. That was mm-hmm. like, the, it wasn't, it was just, it was like, just don't screw this up and don't make it terrible. Um, and so that was kind of the fun of, of Heartless was to kind of give the homage to those, those greats. For a project like that, did you have to get rights? Nope, it was right on public domain, which was awesome. Was it really? Oh yeah, no, we were thrilled because I started writing it before we knew that. Right. But uh, so it was kind of a gamble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, luckily, it was in public domain by the time we uh, right. we made it. What's interesting about the story is that, I and mean, one thing you learn, and I wonder if this moral is in the book, but in the movie, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Reserve of Oz. Um, you kind of learn how everyone kind of learns they already had what it was that they were searching for. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Dorothy always had the ability to go home. Yeah. The lion always had courage. And you mm-hmm. see it retroactively. You see it looking back. Oh, the scarecrow was always smart. He was the one coming up with all the right. genius ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Tin Man, you see examples of his heart. So is that explored in the book that they already had what it was that they were looking for yeah i think that that was it we're getting with with the scarecrow he when he's first created he's brilliant right and then he just over time goes well i guess i'm just a dummy right um the the tin man uh, you know he lost his physical heart in the fantasy thing but it's just a representation it really because he did have regret as mm-hmm. he's you know waiting for a thousand years right. um he did realize, ah, oh, I, I messed that up real bad. So yeah. he had the capacity for love. He just fell in love with his own. Yeah. It's his fault. And that's part of it, too, is the Tin Man. The Tin Man, he's not a victim of an external circumstance. It's his fault. Mm-hmm. Like he, he messed that up real right. bad. Um, the other guys, and, you know, again, the, the, the Cowardly Lion had it in him, but he just kind of, because of the circumstance they were in, they go, okay, well, I guess this is true about me, mm-hmm. and accepted it. And I think Wizard of Oz is, is about not accepting those situations and, and, and going back again to who you are and who you were originally. The woodsman was this passionate craftsman who, who fell in love and was willing to do anything for his bride. And because of his own um, pride and process and efficiency, it was very much about modernization and about mm-hmm. all this like... Um, creating, a, you know, Baum hated this idea of the modernization of our culture. And so 
again, it's like falling in love with the technology or the process more so than the actual passion. Um, you know, and, and I kind of relate it akin to sometimes we fall in love with the, the tech specs of the, of our craft, and we can talk for days on the Alexa versus Red or <laughs> 5K versus 4K um, color space and programs and editing and stuff. And that's cool, and that's great, and you sh- we need to know all that stuff. But, you know, I, I want to talk about why did we all cry at the end of Toy Story 3? Like, mm-hmm. that's, like, I don't know. Like, well, let's go into that stuff, and let's go figure out, like, that should be our conversation between filmmakers of, man, I, you know, I can't, I can't figure out how to make my protagonist care about him, you know, and what, what archetypes should we really be paying attention to and calling back? Those are the things I think um, that we should continue to, to focus on. Uh, and that's kind of the struggle for us and for me. And going back to that original, like the Tin Man, like why are we doing this and how do we get better at that? Um, because I, I for sure fell in love with the camera and, and the way the technical stuff looked. And I thought for a time uh, that if I could just get this piece of equipment, if I could just get this camera, I could make the films that I wanted that were great. And it really, it turns out that you can make a really bad movie with a really great camera. <laughs> and I found that out firsthand. And that was a, that was a sucky realization. And, uh, so, you know, and you're like, well, I could either try to get a better camera or crap. That's I'm the problem. You know, that's like the, uh Oh, what if it's me? Um, and, uh, again, that's, again, that's part of the Tin Man story of saying the process is, is important. And the craft is important, but why are we out? Why are we out here in the first place? And, you know, the Tin Man, uh, the woodsman had to be great at his job. I mean, he had to have a great axe, and he had to. And uh, you know, it, interestingly enough, it was his tools that turned on him. Right. Right. So, <laughs> it, so again, it's this really layered, cool story. Um, but at, at the end, uh, he had to be skilled at his job to go build a house. But why? Why did we, we get out there? Why did he come out there? Because he was in love, and he wanted to provide a, this thing for. Him. He wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for his wife, soon to be wife. And then he started, you know, cutting down trees for himself. And that's that's the that's the danger. And I I fall into that trap constantly, and and, and always try to get myself out of that. Uh, you know, back into uh, realizing that a, a story well told with less production value will always be better than a poorly told story with the most amazing production value. I love talking to you. Love, uh, love I love you. talking to you, man. Yeah. This is fun stuff. I, you know, just, I don't get to... Well, I think you should always. just be like a recurring guest on the show. I'd love to. That'd It'd be, be fun. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I love this podcast. I love the concept of it. I'm so glad you I'm did. super excited cool, about cool. it. That means, it. that means you'll be back on. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. For sure. Awesome. Right.